Welcome to Sedaris. My name's Dave. I am uh, a pastor here at Sedaris. And uh, lucky for y'all, I'm not actually going to be preaching today, um, but I've got a friend here. But before I invite him up and introduce him, um, I just wanted to say thank you for last week. If you weren't here last week, we did something called Pledge Sunday, where we... uh, uh, we kind of made pledges for this next year, for 2016, as a young church, uh, coming up on our one-year anniversary. Uh, we don't have a lot of historical data to know how we should be setting our budget, and uh, we're trying to sort of flip the scales from external to internally supported as a church. And so last week, uh, we had 40 pledge cards that were turned in, which is awesome. And I hope that was like a fun, exciting thing for you, because you got to see that uh, there's lots of people Uh, Lots of young people, in fact, that are joining in together in the shared mission um, to help the city of Seattle consider the gospel of Jesus Christ, his gospel of redemptive grace. And uh, if you're new with us, the way we like to do that is by starting really big conversations. That's why we do the four-minute conversation, uh, by multiplying disciples, and by uh, increasing a sense of family. We feel like uh, those are things that aren't happening in our city that need to be happening, uh, and so we're trying to do that together. So we're coming up on our one year. Uh, this would be a great time to invite somebody new to come check out what we're doing, um, ask them to consider what it might look like to be a part of uh, our community and, and what, uh, what our mission is. So uh, without further ado, actually, so if you, if you weren't here last week, but you want to make a pledge, there's some pledge cards on the back connect table in the back, so you can grab one of those, and uh, you can uh, hand it to me, or you can uh, put it in the connect bin, and nobody will look at that, fold it up, and, and we'll sort of uh, include it in our summary of kind of what God's uh, preparing for us this next year. Sound good? Okay. Now, uh, so we have the privilege tonight, a buddy of mine, his name is Todd, uh, and Todd is a guy I met in one of the church planting networks that I participate in called the North Sound uh, Church Planting Network, and uh, Todd is a great guy, and we're very lucky that he's here tonight. He's actually uh, a former Seattle uh, native, Um, (laughs) he lives in Monroe now, but he used to be from Seattle. I don't know if Monroe, we consider that Seattle native anymore, but... Um, he lived just between here and Green Lake for a number of years, and, and him and his wife have lived in Crown Hill. He's got three beautiful kids. You'll see them here today. They're the really tall, uh, good-looking ones. And then um, uh, he was in the business world for like 20 years, and he started a number of companies. And uh, then five years ago, God sort of... Uh, uh, changed the trajectory of his life, and now he's a full-time outreach pastor at Cascade Community Church in Monroe, and he lives on a blueberry farm, and there's so many cool things. So if you get a chance to just talk to him, ask him all sorts of questions. He has a heart for the Lord. He has a heart for outreach. He has a heart for 18 to 30-year-olds, which is kind of what we're all about currently at Sedaris, and um, not that we don't like people over 30. We do, because I'm over 30, and I think I'm great, and... um, so Todd's here, and he's going to share with us tonight, so I just want to welcome him up. Let's give him like a big Sedaris, like let's get the energy going here, because he'll bring it. So just, Todd, come on up, and I'm going to pray for him. All right. That's exciting, right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. 
So let me just pray. Let's pray for Todd and uh, ask the Lord to speak through him. Father, we give you all the glory. That's why we're here, because uh, you are great, and you have given us everything that we have, and everything that we are is because of you. And so we give this next uh, hour back to you. We give you our praise. We give you our attention. And we'd pray that you'd speak through Todd, that you'd give him your words, and that um, he would speak truth to us, and that we'd hear truth, and, and that we would be stirred up, that our affections would be stirred to you, our Lord, our Savior, and that in all of it, your name might be proclaimed in a true and right way. And so we thank you for this privilege of having Todd uh, speak to us tonight, and uh, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I hit the green button. Everything's, this is all live. All right. It's good to see you guys. Um, sorry that uh, I'm not looking as good as I normally do. Uh, some of you can see that looks like I got in a fight and hurt my nose. Um, in fact, my, she's kind of like a niece or something. A while back she said to me, she said, Uncle Todd, uh, you have a big nose. And... <laughs> She just said it so matter of fact, and she sort of, uh, it kind of made sense because I had had this fear my whole life that I, maybe I had a big nose, and, and now apparently it's getting in the way uh, of things. So uh, hopefully I'm not too, you're, hopefully you're not able to be too distracted by that tonight, okay? You'll be all right. Um, just love, love Seattle. We, uh, when I moved up from college, uh, went to Point Loma in San Diego, we came here and uh, a few years later, bought a house just north of Green Lake on Wallingford, 8822, if you want to stalker that person's house. Um, <laughs> then we moved, to, we moved to Crown Hill and just love Ballard and pizza time because that's the best low-quality pizza in the world. Uh, just good stuff. And then I, I, we moved on to Lake Washington uh, on Riviera, and then we, we got all highfalutin and moved to the other side of the lake on the east side. And um, and in that time frame for us, it was, it was a fun time while God was building a business. And my, my heart had always been to be a full-time pastor. I wanted to serve Christ. And I thought, just when I earn enough money, then I will just hang it up. And then I'll, I'll, then I'll serve God with all that I have. And uh, so I was leading men's groups and stuff like that and just loved it. And it wasn't, it wasn't long um, into a, a really nice, successful season in my life uh, that... God made it really clear that we needed to move from that lake house, liquidate that, and move to this little farm in Monroe. And I just remember calling my wife uh, that the night that I decided that we needed to do that because I was working on this farm and just saying we need to move. And it just got really quiet. And all of a sudden I hear what, what tears sound like on the other end. And uh, we made that move. It was terribly difficult. And as God gently worked with us, he brought me into full-time ministry in the church that I started serving at in Monroe, and we ended up loving living on this farm, and now we don't like Seattle anymore, so <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but it's so good, brings back so many good memories. Tonight we'll be talking about Luke 18, and it's, it's all about prayer. That's where we'll be going, okay? Um, the dictionary definition, at least one dictionary definition of prayer is a solemn request for help or expression of thanks addressed to God or an object of worship. 
And as I read that, when I first started reading that quote, that uh, dictionary definition, I, I thought, well, that kind of makes sense until you really get to the last part. It's a solemn request to God. It doesn't talk about a conversation. Just, it just talks about a one-way, a one-way thing. I think our definition about prayer is two-way conversation with God. It's one of those things when Jesus came, it really became very, very easy for us to have an ongoing relationship with God where we're talking with him and he's responding to us and he's bringing alive the word of God. And we're hungry for that, each of us are. Um, I think a better definition, a definition is, is out of Jeremiah 33.3 and it's, it's a little out of context, but you'll get the idea. We'll use it as our running definition. This is what God says. He says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Call to me and I will answer you. And you just hear God's heart and how he wants to be in relationship with you. And he wants to tell you the unsearchable things you don't know. The, the very curious things that are mystery inside your heart. And that's his heart for us. Um, Kim and I, uh, very rarely, since we have three kids, do we get time alone. It's getting a little better. But very rarely do we get time alone. And I remember one uh, Saturday we had, for whatever reason, our kids were next door uh, at our at Kim's aunt's house and they were they were having fun and they were just we got the whole day to be together and so when you get the whole day to be together when you're uh, when you have kids you're, you're cleaning is what you do you, this is actually what happens so if you're wondering you know would they go on a date or do something exciting no you either nap or clean or you sit in a chair by yourself and just think for a while it's nice so we're we're, we're enjoying each other and we're kind of cleaning and I just remember having this uh this ongoing great day with her. And about the end of the day, I just, I asked her this question that I failed to ask earlier in the day. And I'm like, how are you? How are you doing? And all of a sudden, like, her eyes just started to well up with tears. You're probably thinking she cries a lot. She actually doesn't. But they, <laughs> they start to well up with tears and she goes, I'm not doing very well. And I'm like, what? You're not? And she goes, oh, no, and then she started to kind of list some of the stuff that was going on in, in her life that, that I had known, but I had been missing. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, wow, so sorry, I should have asked earlier. In prayer, a lot of times, we have this relationship with God where we can get very much into the things we're doing, into the routines, and sometimes coming to church, and, and even your devotional time, and even your relationship with your friendships, and not really know how we're doing with God. And uh, there are five things that Jesus knows about you and me in prayer, and these are just real quick. The first one is that God knew that you and I would be tempted to give up, that you would just want to, you'd want to bag it. The second one is that he knew that we would reach out to him and that his answer would sometimes not line up with our request. Like, he knows that. That doesn't surprise him. Third, he knew that his sovereignty and his will would rattle us. He knows that. He knows that some of the things that happen in your life, you go, that rattles me. It doesn't rattle him. Uh, fourth, he knew that our faith would be tested as we pray with our tiny perspective against his giant work. And then fifth, he knew that our capacity to pray prayers is far too small. He knows that many of the things you're currently praying for, uh, they're really not big enough. You know, I thought about um, starting off tonight with one of the theologians that many of the men in Monroe who normally drive diesel pickup trucks, 
would want to quote, and it's a, it's a song, um, but he's also a theologian, and his name is uh, Garth Brooks. And Yeah, Garth, any, are there fans out there? There is one fan. Good, sorry. Maybe I should have brought the lyrics, but uh, he has this, this song, right, of unanswered prayers, and it, and it kind of goes through uh, this. Uh, he meets his high, old high school flame later in life, and and he just realizes that, you know, this is the one that he wanted for all time. And, and for some reason, you know, she uh, had maybe thought the same of him. And, and they really find that there's really nothing there anymore. And, and then he was just so thankful that God did not give him that girl. And uh, that's, uh, when I look back through my life, I can think that there were three girls that I prayed, God, would you help her to become my wife. She is amazing. And I prayed fervent prayers asking God for these people. And uh, not at the same time, but the, it, individually. And, and I'll tell you, as I look back and I see my wife, and I am just so grateful that God had the boldness to not give me what I was asking for. You know, a lot of us can look uh, at that. Um, I look at my the business that the business I used to own and I and I look at it and I go man I was praying that God would rescue that business that he would among a very difficult climate about four or five years ago that he could do what he would and rescue my business that's what I asked for because I really believed that we were generous with our resources I really believed that our business was serving many people who who were able to find the gospel because of that business and and I really felt like it would have been right for him to keep it but he had the audacity to look me in the face and say no I know better and I'm going to give you what you've been praying for but I'm not sure if you actually want and and that's how he got me into full-time ministry um, I can remember back uh, sophomore year of college I remember I had had, since I was 16 is really when I said yes to Christ, and, um, and my life had been pretty, uh, it had been pretty good. I, I think, I feel like every time that I was praying, I just felt like God was kind of there, and then he was kind of ministering to me. I don't know why, but somehow in that sophomore year, it just really stopped. All of a sudden, it just felt like I was praying, but he just stopped you know, talking with me. Uh, his word, I was read, I'd read the Bible, and I'd be like, man, you know, where are you? And um, I remember there was this place that I would pray at diligently upstairs in our dorm and just had this terrible couch with these oak handles that would just hurt like crazy. And I would kneel there and I just remember praying and somewhat and feeling like my prayers were just lifting up, hitting the ceiling and, and, and mocking me and mocking me. I don't know if you've ever been there, but if you have, you know what it's like when you're praying and you're praying and you're like, where is God? Has he, has he What's he done? Um, this, is, this is kind of a, this is kind of one of God's ways. If that's where you are, this is one of God's ways of giving you some kind of resilience in your life. Um, I can say that as I look back now, when I go through a difficult time, the number one thing that I look back and I say, God, don't make it lock my sophomore year. Don't, don't put the kind of distance between us that I can't sense your presence and uh, that's, that's become a, a big thing for me. I'm 44 years old now, and I still look back to something when I was 20, 21 years old, 
and I go, don't make it that big, because I can't bear that. I can't bear having not sensing the presence of your, your spirit inside my life. So all these things, maybe, maybe for you, you, at some point you've said, okay, I'm just giving up on prayer. Uh, God expects that. Maybe tonight you just kind of need a nudge. Tonight we'll be in uh, the parable of the persistent widow. So if you would, if you have your, your Bible with you or in your app, turn to Luke 18, 1 through 8. Starting in verse 1. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't care what uh, uh, even though I don't care or fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for those his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? It's a good passage. I've spent a lot of my life actually being slightly confused about this passage. Uh, let's break it down going back to verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And probably the first thing is that we might want to look at is who are disciples of Jesus? A lot of times in churches we, we get the idea that maybe everyone's a disciple of Jesus that's, in a, that's sitting in a church. Um, in this case, we look at the passage and we go, okay, are these the 12 or is it the 72 from uh, Luke chapter 10 or is it the 120 disciples that Jesus sent out um, uh, in Acts chapter 1? Um, but let's kind of narrow down what a disciple is first. And you may have a little bit different running de- definition, but let's look at it. Um, it's Matthew 28, 19. This is what an expectation of a disciple is. Uh, it says this, therefore go and make disciples. That's what a disciple does. A disciple of Jesus goes and makes disciples. Of all nations, he says, baptizing them. So a disciple baptizes others, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Not baptizing them to just something random, but baptizing them into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It goes on in verse 20 and says, and teaching them to obey. That's what a disciple does. We baptize and we teach people to obey the word of God. And, and it says uh, at the end there, everything I've commanded you to do, that's the word of God. So that's, that's kind of what we would look at and we would say, okay, that's what a disciple is. Some of you will be uh, tempted to believe that you're a Christ follower or a disciple of Jesus, but those things aren't actively happening or interestingly happening in your life. And I would, I would encourage you to, to look at his definition so that you can say, okay, am I really a disciple of Christ? I long to be one. And then, and then change the things that aren't there. Um, and if you're doing that, just awesome. So it goes on to say that Jesus tells his disciples a parable. And a parable is simply a short story designed to illuminate a spiritual truth. And the assumption in this parable is one that is kind of strange. 
that we should pray and not give up. So the assumption is that what will you want to do? You'll want to give up. I'll want to give up. And, and God knows that. Uh, so his expectation uh, for us is, is helpful, I think. You look at the Lord's Prayer in, in Luke eleven two, and he said to them, when you pray, when you pray, say, Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and keeps going on. When you pray. There's that expectation that we would pray. Um, Jesus sets an example for us in prayer also. I think after, uh, in Luke, Luke 5, 16, after he heals a man of leprosy, uh, there are just a bunch of people waiting to be healed and to meet with Jesus. And it says that he withdrew to a lonely place to pray. And for a long time, I've actually struggled with that. Like, how in the world is it that, that God, knowing, knowing that there were those to heal, that could have been healed, he, he felt it was more important to go pray to God, his Father. I, I, I struggled with that, and maybe you would too, and, and uh, I think one of my mentors said it like this to me. He said, you know, there are always physical needs in this life that we need to be healed from, always. Our whole lives there will be. There's always stuff in every one of us that we wish were healed because it is not right or it is not perfect. But the one thing that you need and the one thing that I need is spiritual reconciliation with Jesus. We need that closeness to the Father even while, even that means that we have to pull away sometimes and, and have solo time with God. That's what Jesus did an example for us. Um, he leaves the unmet physical needs to pray and to meet with the Father and he goes on at the end of our our last part of verse 1, to say, always pray and not give up. Persistence in prayer is a top priority. Now, if I asked you today, if I, if, if I could just say, hey, by a show of hands, and I, I'm not asking you, okay, but if I could say by, by a show of hands, tell me, will you ever give up in prayer? You know, most of you would go, I'm not going to raise my hand for that. Of course I'm not going to give up in prayer. Um, but maybe you haven't been faced with something that's, that's made you want to give up. We had a, uh, a friend, uh, Linda Lyons, uh, a friend that was my wife's college friend, and she's a beautiful lady. And she got cancer at a young age. I think she was 25 or 26. And uh, we tried like crazy to find bone marrow donors for her, and she's Korean, so the donors in America were much smaller even sent money to Korea to hunt down bone marrow donors for her. And ultimately, for Linda, we would not find the answer in time, and she would die. And that was brutal. It was brutal. It was brutal for my wife because we had been asking God to bring about a miracle. We had been asking that he, would, that he would make this happen for us. Um, and, uh, and I was frustrated because I, I was earning and, and gathering other earners to put money toward this, to, make it, to do whatever we could financially. And his, his answer was ultimately different than what we had been praying. About a year later, Kim and I were talking about prayer, and, and the conversation was like this, like, how are you doing with Linda's death? And she's like, you know, it's been really weird. It's tough. Because the, when I want to 
pray for something that I want God to do, I sort of feel like I wonder why should I? If he's just going to do what he wants to do anyway. Haven't you been there? There's, and, and slowly, 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 God started winning us back to encourage us to pray. But for us, it's very easy for us to, once we have a very difficult, emotional, lack of an answer to prayer, is to just say, all right, God, I, I'm going to pull out for a while. I'm not going to pray fervently like I used to. I'm not going to really, really hunt down your answers. And um, so he encourages us clearly. He says, remember to always pray and not give up. That's really a decision of your will. Um, and we'll use the backdrop of our pain to justify why we won't pray for certain things and, and just, just avoid that. Uh, persist in prayer in every circumstance. Romans 12, 12 says this, says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. And then Colossians 4, 2 says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. There's devotion that we take when we say we want to be prayers, we want to be people in relationship with God. There's that devotion. Be watchful and thankful. And I think gratitude, being thankful, is such a powerful aspect of prayer. Uh, the more that we are grateful for what he's given us, the more that there's just an interest in, uh, in, in us. It's easier for him to bless somebody who is, is grateful. There's a, uh, a thing I'd like to say with you, if you would say it, if you can agree to it. But would you say this with me? And just, just in an oath, and you can put it on your Bible if you'd like, but I will always pray and not give up. Will you say that with me? I will always pray and not give up. I'll say it again if, if you didn't catch it the first time. I will always pray and not give up. It's, um, it's interesting. Jesus rolls into this, this parable now, and he says, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. And so you have these two things illustrated. First, you've got this powerful judge. And he's this guy that doesn't fear God, no fear for God. The second thing is that he has no care for his fellow man. So in our context of our culture, we might call him like a, a tool or a, a jerk or a, a fool. He just doesn't care. You know, he doesn't care about people. Uh, and then we've got this widow and she's much different. I mean, she, she's persistent. She kept coming to this judge because she believes he has something. She's assertive. This is what she is. She's assertive, and she's saying, grant me justice for, from my adversary. And then third, she believes she's right. You know, and this is a very helpful thing to know, that you believe, she believes she's right. And, and honestly, we rarely ask for justice when we don't think we're right because we don't want it if we think we're wrong. Um, in her case, she's like, I, I know I'm right. And so we have this strange, this strange little for instance here. And the interesting fact, and this is slightly cheesy, so I warn you, okay? But this widow, if you add an N into her widowness, you, she gives us a window, okay, that's the cheesy part, to see into the kind of tenacity that God wants from us in prayer. She really does. We get to see through her into a very clear window of what God wants from you 
in, in regard to prayer. Regardless of how she feels about the judge, she continues to make the same request. It's fascinating to me. Look at what she doesn't do. She doesn't slander the judge. She doesn't slander the judge. When she doesn't get what she wants, she doesn't slander the judge. Now, I've heard well-meaning youth pastors every once in a while say something like, just shout out at God. If you need to just flip him off and just, just be angry and be shout out at him like that and just say whatever you want. Let me say this about what this widow does. She understands that even though she doesn't even like the judge, she doesn't slander him. Sounds to me like he's worthy to be slandered, but she chooses not to. She's a good example for us. She doesn't accuse the judge, and maybe this is hard to listen to, but she doesn't accuse him. She has a whole basket of things she could say about him because he's not a very kind guy. She doesn't accuse him. And then lastly, she doesn't stop coming to see the judge. She doesn't relent because she looks at this judge believing, you can give me what I'm asking for. Regardless of what she thinks of his character, she persists. She persists. She believes in what the power of the judge, that, that the power of the judge has what she needs. Um, important clues about this judge. All his visual indicators show a lack of concern for anybody else beside himself. Uh, his irritation with her is clearly present in this parable. And then his care for himself exceeded his love for others. Very clear. It's really not, if, and, and really me, let me ask you this question. If, if that's kind of the, the picture of the judge, but you serve a God that thinks about you and loves you and cares about you, how much easier is it to continue to persist with that God? Um, her persistence pays off. Verse four says, for some time he refused. Uh, God ever refused a prayer of yours? Thank goodness he's refused some of mine. I wish he would have given others, but uh, finally going on, but finally he said to himself, and this judge kind of says this in a little soliloquy, he says, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And yeah, in the Greek, attack is actually physical attack. It's kind of cool. Um, God, God, is a, God is kind of a, oh, maybe I was about to say God is a funny God. I don't know if he's really a funny God. Um, but God's really clear about something. I think that he's clear about yes, no, or maybe, right? And as you one day have kids, you'll be like, these are the main things that I tell my kids. I either tell them yes, no, or maybe, Right? Um, a few months back, it was about six months ago, uh, my kids had been coming to me asking for some of the ice cream in the freezer. And the low-quality ice cream, which is Briars in our family, okay, that's as low as we go, okay, the low-quality ice cream that we allow the kids was pretty much gone, and there was only Coffee Coffee Buzz Buzz in there, uh, which the, the Ben & Jerry's one, okay? And that's for mom and dad. That's too high quality to be wasted on someone too young, right? So they were coming to me saying, Dad, can we have some coffee, coffee, buzz, buzz? And I was like, what? No. <laughs> That's a clear, easy one, right? And, uh, and yet, uh, 
I just remember it like this. My kids think it might have been slightly different. However, they, they continued to persist. And after a while, I said a terrible word. I said, well, maybe, right? Which maybe is a slippery slope to yes, always. Okay, so I said maybe, and then pretty soon, I am like scooping up three small bowls of coffee, coffee, buzz, buzz for the kids. And I'm, the whole time, I'm like, man, I cannot believe I gave in to this. But they persisted, right? They're good kids. And then, then as they, they attempted to go to sleep that night, I realized why I don't ever give them our high quality ice cream because they don't work hard enough to be tired when they get that kind of caffeine and chocolate. So they were up and I just remember going, oh man. Uh, but the point is this, their persistence, they're good kids, good kids. And their persistence with me worked. I first said no, but you know what then? I said yes. Sometimes God will say yes to you because of your persistence. Even knowing that sometimes when he says yes to you, that there will be a consequence for you. Sometimes he will. And that's by his grace as well too because he trusts you to turn back to him even in the consequence. God is a good God. Can we wear down God with our requests? It appears in this passage that he's saying, yeah, we can wear him down. And it's, uh, it's unique. I remember the first time that I um, wanted to give prayer a try. Like they'd been talking about it in church and it was really before I was a, uh, like a believer believer. Like I was just like uh, 10 years old and I, I just remember thinking I'm gonna give prayer a try cause, and it was around Christmas time that my Sunday school teacher was talking about it. And, uh, and all I wanted for Christmas was a Redline BMX bike, right? Uh, did anybody have a Redline? Are those cool? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, envy just welled up within me right there. So you have that, like I was praying this, and, um, and so I had, what I did, I was very specific. I told my parents, I said, I would like a Redline 20-inch BMX bike, and I'd like that for Christmas, and it doesn't have to have all the pads and all the fancy stuff, it just has to be a red line. Do you understand, Mom and Dad? You know, if, if I would have been wiser, I would have grabbed them by the cheeks and just said, it's a red line, right? And just kind of looked in their eyes. You know, so Christmas morning, Christmas morning, the most peculiar thing happened. I walk down the stairs, I take the right turn toward the Christmas tree, I look, and right next to the Christmas tree, underneath an afghan, which you might not know what that is. It's a knitted, nasty uh, blanket. Uh, underneath an afghan, there is, a, hopefully those aren't popular right now, it, there's, there, there's, there's a bike there. And so they look at me, and I, I look at them, and I go, is that for me? And they go, yeah. Can I go? You know, so I go and uncover it. And I'm looking at it. It's shiny. It's shiny beautiful and I my eye kind of goes down to the top tube and what's it say on the top tube huffy <laughs> huffy just so you know huffy is the bottom feeder of bicycles okay there's not a worse bike on the market than a huffy in fact as an adult now I only ride s works with zip rims and you know I don't know if you guys can feel that but uh 
I have to buy expensive bikes now as a result of the injury that I had. But, but I remember that day going, I got a bike, but man, do I not like the look of this bike. It didn't look anything like a red line except that it was shiny. And I'm just thinking, I think this prayer thing's not working. I gave up on prayer until I was 16 and said yes to Jesus. So just be careful as you, as you attempt to pray. God will not always give you what you want. But let me tell you this about the, the huffy. And this is because some kids don't know how to trade well. Is it well or good? They don't know how to trade good. I traded that bike after a year for a go-kart with a motor on it because that kid did not know anything about bikes. Okay. <laughs> Great. So my, my satisfaction was delayed, right? So maybe, maybe when you think of your time in prayer and your prayer life, you can kind of think of it and you, you think, man, I feel like God's given me a huffy when I was really at it. I was really asking for a red line. Maybe you look at your life and you go, I feel like I'm living the huffy life. I'm asking for a red line life. And um, I just want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you to keep, keep being persistent in prayer. God has his purpose in how, what he's taking you through. Persist, persist, persist. Verse number six says this, says, and God said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And one, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? I don't know if you can feel that desperation. That desperation. And then two, will he keep putting them off? So this is two questions, and then he, he gives this one answer. You know, and it's like Matthew. This I'll bring this first up. It's like Matthew seven nine through eleven. I'll just read it quickly, but it's it's helpful. Um, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Man, God wants to give you good gifts. Jesus ends with verse 8 of our passage tonight. He says this, I tell you, um, he will see that they get justice and get it quickly. And then kind of this one final question, the bottom part of verse 8 is, he says, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And it's really a pretty good question. Knowing that it is your choice to be a person of prayer and to persist in prayer, or to not. It almost seems as if Jesus is, is saying to us, hey, if you persist in prayer, then I'm sure that I'll find faith on earth when I return. Or the opposite, that if you don't persist in prayer, maybe I just won't find faith on earth. As you consider your ongoing conversation with God, I have some uh, ten quick tips, and then I'll close with a story that I think I'll, I'll throw at you uh, that maybe are helpful to you. These have been helpful to me, and maybe afterwards, you, if you have more that you're like, yeah, this has been helpful, um, then, uh, then let me know, please. Um, the first one is, uh, especially if you're in kind of a season of dryness, uh, write down your prayers. This is a great way to, to kind of keep track of what God's doing in you, because you can also, you have a journal, you can go back later and go, oh yeah, God answered that, that's cool. Uh, second one is uh, many times when you pray, you're, you're feeling like you're going to pray about something specific, and then there's all these distracting thoughts that enter your mind. Can anybody say that that's you? Okay, right? 
pretty much all of us go through something where we're like, we're praying and we're like, oh, and all of a sudden we're thinking about this thing or this person or this anger, or, right? And here's what I'd recommend, my second recommendation. When you go to pray and it, your mind goes to that thing, pray for it. Just bathe it in prayer. Come back to what you wanted to pray about. Your mind gets distracted again. Follow that tangent. And just go after that tangent and bathe it in prayer. Come back to what you're trying to pray about and just keep following those tangents. I, don't you think it's possible that God's actually, he knows what's on your mind. He's interested in what's on your mind and that he wants you to go ahead and bathe all those in prayer. Third one is pray for your enemies the best. A lot of times over the years, I used to pray for my enemies that, that God would fix them or kill them, okay? Because um, I didn't like them. I didn't like the way they did stuff, right? And so my hope was to get them to change because I needed them to be more tenable for me and my personality. And, and what I've learned over the years is it's better not to pray for them to change because uh, they are probably who they are, but to pray the best for them. I found that what I do for my life is I pray the best. I pray that God would help me in a number of areas. I pray for all kinds of good stuff. And so what I do now for my enemies when I find one and identify one is I start praying for that God would bless them, that he would take care of them, that he'd meet their financial needs, that he would bring them the family they long for. I start praying the very things that I pray for myself. And that is super helpful because all of a sudden the steam you have against them is gone. And even though you don't want them to have all those good things because you're sick of them and you think they're terrible, uh, you're released from your, your offense that they've created in your life. And that's super helpful, not only to them, but it will be to you. So pray the best for your enemies. Fourth, um, things that we value, we schedule. Um, so you can kind of look at my schedule and go, that's what Todd values. And so schedule prayer. Just build it right into your schedule. Fifth, um, Pray for your pastoral team and Dave and all that God's doing and your worship team, your local and your regional and your national leaders. That's helpful too. Pray for those guys. Um, God sets our leaders into place. We don't always agree with his choices, but he's accomplishing his purpose through them. So pray for them. Uh, sixth, uh, men certainly begin to lead your families in prayer. Any, any opportunity you can, get used to it as a leader and uh, and gals, same thing. Lead your families to prayer. And if you're married, then, then try to give your man some, some nudges, and he'll respond to that, I hope. Um, seventh, listen to God uh, and be in his word. And that's how you're going to hear his responses to your, your prayers. Because he's, he's going to speak through his word. You might be praying something, but if you don't have a huge volume of the scripture inside your heart and your head yet, then sometimes he's going to answer it and you're going to kind of go, okay, I kind of fit that in. But a lot of times what you'll find is that you're praying something and because you're also in the word, something will pop out at you that you're like, oh, that's the answer that I needed. He reveals himself through his word all the time. So pray for him to do that in your life as you do read his word. Number eight is if your health permits, also fast. Fasting is like giving up something that's valuable to you. We commonly think of fasting as like, food, right? Give up food. Um, and I've done some of those, and, and the idea behind fasting is that we would, that in giving up something that we value, the food we all value, right? Giving it, and, but if you have health concerns and stuff like that, please don't do that. Or if you're just kind of dealing with, you know, eating disorders, be careful, right? Give something up that is tenable. The idea is this, the idea is this, that when I deny myself something that I would 
every time that pang of the de- desire that I have to have that thing is, is panging, I, I give that time to prayer. That's the value of fasting. It's just that reminder, you know. Uh, the longest fast I've done was three days. I've wanted to be more ambitious. Um, and it, the first day is always terrible for me. And then uh, it seems like subsequent days have been a little more of, okay, now I'm actually feeling like I'm not just so consumed with food. But I've done media fasts, you know, Facebook fasts, you know, all kinds of, uh, all kinds of fasts, you know. Um, so some ideas for you. And then, um, and then nine, uh, pray in public also in private. Uh, as Christ followers, like it's easy for you to kind of like you walk into a Starbucks and you kind of want to put your Bible underneath the other book or flip your Bible over or whatever. Uh, but go ahead and out yourself as a Christ follower everywhere you go. Um, go feel free to, to pray wherever you end up tonight. You're going to grab a beer and you're like, dang, you know, we're at the, whatever the pie and bruise place that you're going to. You know, pray, you know. Just, hey, you're Christ followers. If you are, then just go ahead and, and put it out there. I mean, the rest of the world is being very open about what they do and you just feel free to be very, very open about who you are and the reality of your soul. Uh, and then 10th, and then um, Make a family prayer list if you have family or if you've got friends around you that, that act like your community. Make a, make a prayer list that that community is all praying for. And so you guys are on the same page. You can mark those things off the prayer list as God delivers. Um, and, and then lastly, really, um, I would say have some fun in prayer. Prayer's fun. i share a story with you and then I'll, I'll close. Um, I was on the way back from a church planting assessment in Indianapolis a few months back and uh, where we had sent a church planter from our church uh, that we're going to plant and and the assessment is kind of this like five-day brutal process that we put the church planter through and he's with his wife and we talk with them about what we want to about their life and they preach and they do all kinds of stuff it's really cool Uh, it's kind of strenuous for them and then it's as an evaluator it's it's kind of it's painful, but because you're going through these people's lives and just trying to find out, you know, would you be a good planner? And we're coming back from that, and Indianapolis is, like, apparently pretty tough to get in and out of from here. Uh, so, like, it was the third flight in that after several delays and, like, nine-hour delays that I finally get to my row in the plane that's coming back to Seattle. And in my row, there's two other people who just look like like me, like they'd just been beaten with a stick for the last eight hours, right? And this is before the nose incident, but the, like we're just tired. We're just tired. And I just, I remember looking over at my row and just thinking, hey, let's, you know, I'm going to talk to these people. And so I, I asked the girl next to me, I'm like, hey, you know, what's going on? There's a girl and then there's a guy next to her. I'm like, you guys together? And they're like, oh, no, you know, no. And I'm like, all right, cool. You know, so tell me about your life, you know. And she's telling me about her life and she has an engagement ring on. I'm like, oh, hey, who's a lucky guy, you know. And, uh, and she's like, oh, it's not actually a guy. And I'm like, oh, okay, so what's her name? Okay, it's Susan. Okay, so you're getting married. Interesting. You know, tell me about your life, you know. And I just, what you, you know, what's it all about, you know. And so I talked to her and just loving my conversation with her. And, and then the dude on the end, like, I just remember, like, looking over at him, and he was, like, kind of an earnest-looking guy. And I, I just started asking him about, he works for a drug company and stuff. And I'm like, well, tell me more about that. And he's like, well, there's stuff, there's certain things I can't tell you. And I'm like, well, tell me the things you can't tell me. And, um, 
And so we're having this conversation, and, and I, at some point in the conversation, I just get this instinct, and I don't know if it's like a discernment thing or what, but I, I feel like I need to tell him what I'm actually thinking. But I tell him, I say, it sounds like you actually kill people for a living. That's what I said to him. And he, he looks at me, and he's like, well, I can't actually disclose if I do or if I don't. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> I'm like, I got the best row ever, you know. I'm pretty stoked. And then, but I'm waiting, you know, because pretty soon, like, they're going to ask me, so what do you do? So like it's, it, they're super accommodating and they go, so what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm so excited, you know. I'm a pastor, you know. And they're both like, oh, no way. I'm like, yeah, so let's talk about spiritual things. You guys in? And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. So I'm like, all right. So I'm talking to her and she's telling, I'm like, tell me, when did you go to church? Tell me about, have you ever been to church? Like, what do you like? Did you grow up around spiritual things? What, what, do you feel like God's prompting you in any area? What, tell me about it. You know, what things are sin? And I'm, I'm talking to him about the same stuff and, and just, just enjoying my time. Enjoying my time. We're, we're ordering drinks. Don't tell anybody. My kids, we're just having, we're having a great time. And... Um, like, we get to the end, and I, I'm not kidding. Like, we've had two hours of the best little flight ever. And I just go, guys, can I, can I just pray with you? Can I just pray with you? And, uh, and they both go, yeah, that'd be cool, man. And I'm like, I don't do this, like, because I think it's kind of creepy, but can we hold hands, you know? And so we all hold hands, and I just pray for God to do mighty things in their lives. And I'm just praying for their souls. I'm praying that he draws them close, that he would bring forward sin, that they'd recognize it, and that they would, they would be grateful when he does. And we're just having this tremendous time. Amen. And like we get off the plane, and I'm not kidding. Like there's even a lady across the row who's all like in this now. And, 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 like, and we all, we get off the plane, no kidding, not because of the bad plane, but we all hug and we're I'm not even a hugger, right? That's prayer. That's prayer. It's just, it's, make it fun. The people that are in your life that you think are just, just all out non-believers, there's a spiritual side to them. There's a spiritual side. And there's a hunger. And they may be far from God, <laughs> but their hunger is in there. It's in there. So, persist. Be like the widow and persist in prayer. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep persisting. Can I pray for us? Father, we, we just want to say to you tonight that we are grateful for this passage. Thank you for bringing up that we can persist and even move your hand. God, I think each of us need to hear from you tonight. We need desperately to know that you care about us, that you love us, that you think about us. We need a big warm hug from you. We need a, a sometimes a sense of uh, discipline from you. God, tonight would you reveal to us something helpful when it comes to prayer that your word would, would reach out to our hearts and that we would, we would be able to live a lifelong, uh, fervent life of prayer, that it would be fun and enjoyable and persistent, and we give you all the glory. Bless Adair's church, Father. Bless this church like crazy, and continue to do mighty things through it. We're so grateful um, to be a part of this, in Jesus' name.